You know, too often we think that this that we walk and breathe is what life is about. We have it in our opinions, we have it in our thought process of what real life is about, whether it's uh, the perfect relationship, the perfect job, the perfect house, uh, the perfect neighbor, uh, the perfect parents, the perfect kids, uh, the perfect whatever it is that appeals to us, and we think that that's going to be the fulfillment of life. And all pales in comparison uh, to what genuine life is. And now, uh, you know, just so fresh in our minds now, as one of our sisters has gone home, and is experiencing genuine, true, eternal life face-to-face uh, -face with her Savior is uh, Ethel, and thankful for that. You know, but yesterday we had a, we celebrated a home-going. We celebrated one that, based upon her own testimony, uh, based upon her life, her work, her uh, things that she had done and, and said, and followed after uh, that we believe that she is in eternity in heaven's realm and glory uh, with her Lord and Savior. And we rejoice in that. And we're excited about that. And many of us look and long for that day of what that will entail. And, and uh, lots of people have their own views and opinions of what heaven will uh, pertain to. But all through scripture, it's not about us having you know, the perfect golf game or the perfect tennis game or, or perfect this or perfect that. It's all about our focus and attention and worship on our Heavenly Father that for all eternity uh, that we will be found worshiping him, which is exactly what we're to do today. But what about contrary-wise? Those who choose not to trust Christ, those who enter eternal realm without forgiveness of their sins, without reconciliation to Christ, you know, in the Bible, God tells us a number of things about that destination. Uh, that destination, uh, which is hell, which we refer to. You know, many people refer to hell as just bad things that we go through here uh, on this earth. The world's view of hell is uh, their greetings to one another uh, in angst or anger. I'll see you in hell. And flippant, because quite frankly, there's many religious people and entities today that do not teach a literal hell, that do not teach a biblical hell, that do not teach Bible uh, definition of what that eternal torment will be. And I think that we lose sight of what takes place when this body stops breathing. We lose sight of what takes place when a friend or a loved one or acquaintance that does not know Christ, uh, what takes place in their eternity. What takes place in them, and as a result, we don't have a fervency and a zealousness for what is necessary. You know, what brought this up is, you know, this last week in preparing um, for uh, Ethel's and dealing with some other 
things with some folks and uh, you know, going through about what people think hell will be, a big party, uh, more power, it'll be a time to play. Um, you know, and I, I, there was a, a thing, you remember the Far Side cartoons? Hey, overall, I, you know, I'm, when I was younger, I enjoyed Far, I thought they were pretty, uh, you know, some of the Far Side cartoons are, but you know, they're, they're pretty flippant on some stuff. And one of the things is about hell. You know, there's one in there that uh, they had kind of a, a commemoration of whatever it was for the cartoons. And, and one of them was, you know, Satan sitting there with his newspaper, you know, looking at the weather report saying, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be another hot one, Ma. And Mrs. Satan is there. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's supposed to be a funny, happy place. Or the other one, the show depicted two things. It showed people in heaven... Uh, entering through uh, Peter's gate and they were given their harps and those in hell entering into Satan's present given their accordions and you know laughter and fun it's all that it's like oh harps are heavenly accordions are <laughs> well we might feel that way but it depicts what an eternal picture is because it's nothing real it's make-believe we live in a make-believe world. We live in a world that you can have any number of, of programs and documentaries and sci-fi things that everything's make-believe and what is real and what is truth. Mark 9, Jesus tells us that hell is the fire that never shall be quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if you look with me, though, at Luke chapter 16... You know, a couple years ago, we looked at this account from a little different perspective. But this morning, I want us to look at this account that's really about hell or Hades, that holding place uh, that will, all that are there will be brought to the great white throne judgment, uh, that holding place where those names are uh, not written down. But as the world makes light of hell and tries to downplay its existence and ramifications, uh, I want us to see what hell is about. Really, in essence, what hell is not. Uh, what's missing? Uh, what, what is not in there? What is not in hell? Um, you know, we tell people uh, what to do based upon truth. Well, here's the truth of God's Word because in Luke chapter 16... Uh, down in verse 19, familiar passage. We call this the uh, story of the rich man and the beggar. But look at verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, now what do you think? Fared sumptuously. Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, isn't that what we seek for in the American dream? Don't we all want to fare sumptuously? Don't we all want to have, we long for that kind of lifestyle? Well, he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. What is not in hell? Contrary to what the world believes, there's a number of things that this account gives to us that I want us to look at this morning to be reminded, to be reflective, to be serious-minded about what heaven and hell entail. Why it's in one, we should rejoice in that we've been delivered if you're here today and you've been born again. But we should be downtrodden. We should be serious-minded about those whom we know that are not born again of exactly what their eternal destination entails. The first thing there in verse 19, you notice that in hell there are no names. There are no names. He says a certain rich man. He mentions Lazarus the nameless beggar on earth, uh, but the man of wealth, power, position, and possessions no longer had a name. He was simply another sinner facing eternal damnation. He had no name. On earth, his name gained access to people's places that others could not. You see famous people today. You know, people, you know, if you go and try to get into the White House, oh, you can, you can get into part of the White House. Uh, you can get there, you can wait in line, you can sign up, there's tours that you can go through. But there's parts of the White House uh, that you can't get to. And there's some people with their name and their phone, they can make a phone call and they can say, hey, uh, this is uh, so-and-so, uh, this is politician so-and-so, this is king or queen so-and-so, and I'd like to come visit the president. Oh, yes, yes, we'd love to have you come right on in. Because they have access. Well, that's the way this fellow would have been. He had access. He had power and prestige on this earth. He was welcomed. He was revered. He was understood. His name, on earth, his name gained access to people and places that others could not. His name struck fear into those that were under his authority. You hear certain names today. Oh, when we hear of the names of terrorists, well, that name will strike fear. When we hear the name of serial killers, those names strike fear. When we hear the name of powerful people and, and people suddenly are, if you're in a, in a corporation and the boss comes, hey, so-and-so, you say a certain name, so-and-so's here. Oh, I better be doing my work correctly. I better be right. His name was a name that we don't even know. But because of his position, I guarantee that his name meant something on this earth. I guarantee that his name was revered and, uh, in a variety of ways on this earth. His name evoked happiness to those who would partner in wealth with him. 
those who would partner in the power and the position and the wealth that uh, would entail with him. Others would be happy. Oh, I'm so happy to be in partnership. I'm so happy that I invested with so-and-so. He's a millionaire. I'm becoming rich along the way, and I'm enjoying partnering with him. There are, we see of people, investors today, of course, uh, many people wish that they would have invested with Warren Buffett 30 years ago. One stock for, I don't even know what it is now, but I, I looked at it uh, you know, quite some time ago, and one stock, I mean, you know, one share of, of his stock is worth 100 or 200 or more hundred thousands of dollars. You know, today we look at stocks and I go, ooh, I think I'll buy that one. It's $15 a share. Oh, wait, that one's $180,000 a share. I, can I buy half of a percent? And we look at Warren Buffett and say, oh, boy, I wish I would have invested with him. He would have made me wealthy. This man's name would have brought happiness to those who would partner in wealth. But as a sinner... Dead without Christ, Jesus referred to him simply as a certain rich man. Just another guy. A nobody in eternity. You know, David, in Psalm 65, he asked that those he sought comfort and encouragement gave him gall of bitterness. He asked for their names to be blotted out of the book of the living. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In essence, their names were blotted out. Their names were not recorded for posterity. Their names were not recorded for eternity. Their names were no longer meant anything because they had no point, no place, no position with Christ. So their names did not matter. And they become as this, a certain rich man. Those in hell have no name of remembrance. Proverbs 22 tells us, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7 says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And we say that on the earth, but what does a good name mean? What does a good name on this earth mean? Does a good name mean that I do kind things? Does a good name mean that I develop strong wealth? Does a good name mean uh, that I'm respected? Or does a good name mean that it's a name that will last for all eternity? that's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I propose to you that a good name is that name which follows Christ. That a good name is that one that is recorded for all eternity, that is not blotted out, that is purposeful. You know, there are no names. A certain rich man, well-revered and respected, but no longer even named. But yet Lazarus, the poor beggar, the one who just sought to have a little bit of relief, uh, the one who sought to just, if I could just have the crumbs, he didn't have the faring sumptuously lifestyle, but his name was recorded for all eternity. His name was recorded for all eternity. But then back, there are no possessions. 
You know, we hear that, well, you can't take it with you. But how many people seem like they're trying to? You know, it's, it's amazing to me how hard we fight to have possessions, you know, savings and retirement and all those things. And, and um, you know, the, the rich man, he was accustomed to throwing food and drink away, but now he's begging for a drop of water. How do we know he's throwing it away? Because Lazarus uh, was at the gate just looking for the scraps, the crumbs, the morsels uh, that were being thrown out, that the dogs, that uh, the, the, the carnivores, the, uh, those would, would try to take in and, and he would get whatever he could. You remember um, the prodigal son? He was found eating the same food as the hogs he was feeding and he came to his senses and said, wait a minute, my father's servants eat better than this same idea you know I, I remember when i was in india you know down at the point where the three seas meet i shared i went you know, there in 2006 and uh, i was there for two weeks helping start a ministry and and uh going down there and for the first time you know my wife had told me about it when she had visited india with her parents you know, years before and, and for the first time seeing folks that with leprosy that were missing feet uh, that were missing uh, digits uh, that had to have people carry them to a spot uh, that were begging. And some of the folks, you know, most of them th that I saw, they weren't getting money given to them. They were having food scraps thrown to them. And they were happy to have it. Well, that was Lazarus. He sat at the rich man's gate, you know, and he had nothing. But his name is recorded. No possessions. You know, the rich man, he was used to comfortable seating, Servants fanning, enough money to cover, uh, to never worry about anything in life. But now all he has is himself and his memories. On earth he took for granted. Now in death he longs for the simplest of pleasures. But you know, as we see this recorded for us from the Lord, uh, Scripture makes it clear that uh, hell is going to be that place of darkness. You won't see or know anybody. It's going to be a place of lonely, utter, complete isolation with fear and trepidation. The, think about the things, think about how uncomfortable life is when we go without. When I go without coffee for three or four days. Right, Dwayne? It's no fun, is it? Oh, yeah. No, but we get over that. Or if you fast. Well, the Bible says when you fast, we are to fast, and we get those hunger pangs and uh, go through. What about when we are, I think of the folks going through hurricanes. You know, we've done a number of it, and those folks down in the Carolinas. Folks that, things you take for granted, being able to flip on a switch. Being able to go to your pantry and get food out or your freezer uh, that everything is rotted now and you're going without basic necessities and, and pretty soon ramen and fresh water sounds awesome. Those folks who uh, have accidents and are isolated and are stranded and rescued and just the basic of necessities sound awesome. Those that are imprisoned in other countries 
and cannot wait to get back to just the basic of necessities. And you think about anything that you've gone without for any period of time. Maybe it's health reasons. Uh, maybe it's emergency reasons. Uh, whatever the situation, circumstance is. Think about something that was really special that you've gone without and how uncomfortable it was. Remember what it's like not to have it for a time and then to get it again. Well, think about having everything that you know taken away. Every comfort, every feeling, every person, every recognition taken away. And never being able to reclaim any of it. There are no possessions. You know, it's amazing to me how many people build possessions, uh, people who profess to know Christ, who build possessions, who build this and build that, and at the end, they distribute it all to people that have nothing to do with God, people that have nothing to do spiritually, whether it's family, friends, or whatever, and it all gets wasted away on ungodliness. And yet we seem to build and develop and grow as if we're going to be able to take it with us. There are no possessions. There's no possessions in heaven, but there's none in hell. All those that they seek, this rich man who fared sumptuously, there were no possessions found with him. But then go down in verse uh, 23 and following. He says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom, and cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, that I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, but now he is comforted, thou art tormented. You know, isn't it interesting that the rich man was still trying to get Lazarus to be his servant? He still thought that he should be served. He still saw himself as above. Hey, Father Abraham, I recognize and acknowledge you. You know, you are over me. Uh, so why don't you order Lazarus? Uh, to go bring me a drop of water down here. Uh, Abraham says, no, you don't understand. There is no comfort in hell. There is no comfort. There is no encouragement. There is no relief. Torment really means torture. He was used to all the comforts of, of money and power could buy. If you get cold, you go someplace warm. You throw on a blanket. You know, I mean, I can look through here today and I can tell those that are warm and cold. Those that are putting on their coats and those that are sitting them next to them. All the comforts. Uh, if I'm hot, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get someplace cool. If I'm lonely, I'm going to go be with other people. If he was sick, you go uh, seek medical relief. If the bed's not comfortable, uh, find another. You know, just like Goldilocks. If I don't like the food, I'll eat something else. Most of us know what it's like to be uncomfortable for a while the electricity out the cell phone broke a flat tire military deployment jury duty no air conditioning whatever the case may be that which happens that suddenly we become uncomfortable for a period of time 
And it's amazing when we're uncomfortable how much of our schedule that will change uh, to make certain that we deal with whatever's making us uncomfortable so that we become comfortable again. Well, in hell there is no comfort. There is no relief. There is no release. We're consumed with comfort that we, as a society, that even those that are imprisoned because of crimes done against society uh, people fight more and more to try to make them more comfortable because we don't want anybody to be uncomfortable but yet when it comes to understanding hell and the wages of sin that without the forgiveness without christ that those wages of sin that are sealing people's fate to hell we're not near as concerned about sharing the gospel about being fervent and zealous in prayer, about being purposeful of warning them, as we're told to do, of the impending, the coming doom. Now, we don't control if people make... I'm not talking about those that we've witnessed to, those we've shared the gospel with, that have chosen themselves not to follow. I'm talking about us being serious-minded and understanding that that friend, that loved one, when I do not make it clear to them what is going on in eternity, that this is the fate that they are sealed to. This is the fate that awaits them. There is no comfort. There is no comfort in the wages of sin. And that's why Jesus left heaven's realm and glory. That's why God sent his only begotten son to pay that penalty, sin's penalty. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we don't control the decisions anybody else makes. What we control is letting them know that they have a decision, that they have a choice. We ourselves control the choices and decisions we make. But we become, I believe, we've become too much as a church, as the body of Christ in this nation today. I believe we've become too flippant with things going on and not serious-minded enough about what is taking place. Verse 26, he says, Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you, from here to you, cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from you. There's a great gulf fixed. There is no relief. There is no supply chain. There is no coming and going. There is no one able to bail others out through money and prayer, which some religions teach, that if you'll give your, uh, your, your monies, if you'll give your prayers, well, your friend, your loved one will be able to escape there. That's not in Scripture. That is a feel-good thing that men have made up, trying to make us feel better about those friends and loved ones. Well, as long as I can do something here on this earth, the torment is forever and ever and ever and ever, and ever, and ever, and however many evers you want to add. It does not end. It's timeless. And we as a people, we, are so, we get so caught up in the dainties of the day. You know, I am, 
we need to understand the battle that's raging. This came even more prevalent to me when I see what is taking place in our government. When I see the, you know, I, I'm not talking about political attacks. I, I'm telling you the attacks that are taking place are against Christ. The attacks that are taking place are against Christians. The attacks that are taking place are against God and his way of doing things. The attacks, this is a spiritual battle that is raging and until we are waken up and shaken back awake and understand exactly what this battle entails, well, the enemy is going to continue to gain footholds. We've lost sight of what God's expectation is for us in worship. We've lost sight of what God's expectation is for us in our focus. We've lost sight of what God's expectation is for us in standing firm on the truth. And because we've lost sight of the seriousness of what eternity entails. Oh yes, eternity entails heaven. Visibly forever being with Christ in all eternity. But for those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Eternity entails forever torment. There is no relief. Because, as he goes on, look there in verse 27, then he said, look, you know, this rich man, as this account is taking place, however it was able to happen, Jesus is recording this for us. He said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, speaking to Abraham, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. There is... No more witnessing. No more soul winning. There's no salvation in hell. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no reconciliation. It's a Christless, eternal existence. He says, now that I know this is real, would you please go warn my brothers? Now that I know that this is real, would you tell my family? We haven't had a lot of communication through the years, and you know they all have their own homes and their own kingdoms and their own whatever, but, but go warn them. Let them know. Just if somebody would go back from the dead, then it'll make a difference. You know, how many people have said, oh, I just, I just pray somebody goes and talks to my family member. Somebody talks to my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my aunt, my uncle. I just pray somebody goes and talks to them. If, if, if one person would just go and do it, I mean, they're not going to listen to me. They, uh... Well, it's not about listening to us or other people. When he's saying Moses and the prophets, what, what is that for us today? The Word of God. It's God's word that he's promised to not return void. Not our words. I told you before, when God gave me victory over, over public speaking was when I realized that it wasn't that God needed Todd Sassig to come up with a message. It's that God has a message that he wants voices to get out. 
And that's exactly what he calls us to do. To warn, to confront, to comfort, to encourage, to witness, to minister. Because there is no more opportunity when those nameless souls are bound for all eternity. There's no more chance. There's no more choice. I dare say every one of us in here could share of a friend, a loved one, a family member, somebody that we know, that the best we know, that they went into eternity without Christ. Some of us have folks like that that we fail to witness to. Some of them are folks who we witness to, but they didn't make a choice. As far as we know, we're just not certain. And we can allow that to be debilitating or we can allow that to be motivating debilitating in the fact of, oh, I feel so bad that I didn't do more for that person. And then we lose sight of all the faces around us that still have a chance to make a choice. Because now, now is the time that we're to redeem in these evil days. Now is the time that we're to walk in the light now is the time uh, that we are to be witnesses. Now is the time that we are to be ministers. Now is the time that we are to be servants. Now is the time that we are to share the gospel. There's no witnessing, no soul winning, no opportunity to change their minds about Christ. No opportunity to sell all that he had and follow Christ. No opportunity to listen to Lazarus tell about his God. No opportunity to warn others. No opportunity to repent of sin. For years the rich man put up with a beggar at his gate. No doubt looked at him with disdain. Looked at him as a fool. Maybe I wonder if Lazarus ever told him about God's plan. But many of the world look at us the same way today. Foolish beggars. Simple-minded. If you want to believe that garbage, you go right ahead. I don't need that. Look at all that I have. Why would I need religion to feel better? It's not about feeling better. It's about reality. It's about truth. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this is the judgment. Every single human being is going to face it. And he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. But you know, the last thing I would say about this is that there is no reason for anybody to go and experience hell, quite frankly. The way has been made available. The gift has been made available. The entrance has been made clear. The pathway is illuminated. The direction is precise. Oh, certainly the enemy has muddied the waters in that you know, even as my dad said years ago, well, Todd, you know that we all have our own faith. I said, I know, Dad, that's the problem. We need to have God's faith. We need to have the faith that, that Jesus came to give. 
to understand, to focus us. And we see the, mud, the waters being muddied. You know, we're, we're looking for something new. We're looking for some new truth. We're looking for some new way. We're looking for something that's going to give me peace. Just like the first time I prayed a prayer. You know, I got saved a number of times. The first time I prayed a prayer with a fellow named Brady. And, and, and he said, if you pray this prayer, pray what I pray, then you'll go to heaven. And I literally felt tingling sensation you know, from my feet to my head. And I was like, whew. And he said, now you're going to heaven. Well, you know how I looked at it? Well, I was taught if you do more good than bad, you got a pretty good chance of going to heaven. Well, now that I knew, it was like having a license to sin. Well, I don't need to worry about anything. Hey, whatever happens, happens. I got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. And that's false belief. That's not trusting in Christ. And that's not trusting in his way. The gospel Believe on the Lord Jesus. Repent of our sin. Take, change direction. And, and call on the name of the Lord, accepting Him as Lord and Savior. You know, here during our afternoon service, today is a family Sunday. We're going to have a potluck here in just a few minutes. For our afternoon service, we're going to be baptizing a couple of people. Those who have made a profession of faith, those who have purposed and uh, want to stand before and acknowledge that they are followers of Christ. You know what our responsibility there is? Not just to say amen, but to help encourage and hold one another accountable for really the commitment that we're making, and that's exactly what it is as a commitment. And for every one of you here today that is born again, that you made a commitment to follow Christ, are you fulfilling that commitment? Because to follow him means that we're doing it his way. We're going his way. We're not just following off to the side and saying, yeah, I can still see, I'm good. Yeah, I know I'm not on the path. I know I'm over here. But, but as long as I can see, I feel like I'm okay. That's not the instructions that he gave to us. Black and white. Heaven and hell. Saved or unsaved. There's a responsibility that there is, and we must understand with an eternal perspective, heaven and hell. Hell is real. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is where every human being is bound for, but for Christ. And I said, we cannot save anybody. We cannot make anybody get saved. We can, we'll grieve over friends and loved ones uh, that reject and we cannot beat anybody into salvation. We can't manipulate them into salvation. We can pray for them. We can share the gospel message. We can love and encourage them and minister to them and trust that they will make a decision. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul told the Philippians. But our responsibility is to let people know that there's a choice. You know, as... Uh, I was gone last weekend, and originally I had planned to be gone. Well, it was just a series of events. It, it just, it was, God was just making it clear to me that I wasn't supposed to do what I was going to do. You know, I was, uh, was going to go down to the breaks with Willie and his son, and, and uh, Larry Hoyle was going to be down there, and things changed. And, and uh, you know, so I said, well, I need to, 
uh, I'm just going to uh, get away, and I was going to go up my tent, and I got called back home for something else and didn't even get it set up. And then Willie came back and said he was going to drag his camper up, so I was going to go up there you know, for a few days and uh, you know, take my bow for a walk in case an elk ran in front of me. And, and uh, you know, so we, uh, we did that up there. And, you know, but then at the end, we had good fellowship, good time away, and realized that you know, the hunting wasn't going to happen. I still just knew. I said, I just, you know, I want just a little quiet. Willie was going to come home on Tuesday, and so I was going to hang out there for a couple hours. And, and as I was hanging out, I said, you know, Lord, I said, maybe I just need to take a, a few hours and sit here on the stream and read and talk and do that. And, and I mean, literally, I, I, and it was, you know, maybe I just need a break from some things. And so I went down on this spillway off of Newland Reservoir and, and, uh, started casting in a line and and I was singing and all of a sudden this car pulls up and and uh, I just I was just gonna have this quiet time right there and this fella pulls up and and he starts talking you catch anything I say oh no I just got here he goes oh okay well you mind if I pull over and get out and talk for a while no come on but you know I had a great conversation with him he goes to church gave me his pastor's name down a white sulfur never been born again we had some great great conversation uh of course uh he's a conspiracy guy for a whole bunch of stuff just about every conspiracy you've ever heard wrapped up in one but we got to talk about jesus we talked about heaven and hell and as i got in the vehicle i was being reminded again that's the responsibility. As believers, as followers of Christ, we have a responsibility that Jesus gave to us. Let people know he's given them a choice. He's given them a chance. And if we don't do it, who's going to? Again, we can't be consumed with what they do with that chance but we must make certain that they know that they have it. There may be somebody here today and you've never trusted Christ. I just want you to know that hell is not going to be a good place. It's not a make-believe place. It's a real place. And you're not going to see it until this life ends. And I hope and pray that you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. I hope you'll let somebody take a Bible and show you God's message of redemption, his message of deliverance, his free gift made available to you, because nobody has to go to hell. But when we do not accept his free gift, that is our only, only destination. And for us as believers... You know, as much as we rejoice yesterday in Ethel's homegoing, it should spur us on to be serious-minded that we'd have more celebrations like that versus the amount of funerals that we do where we say, well, I just don't know. I hope so. I kind of think maybe, but I don't know. What about your life? If we were to, sell, if we were to have your funeral tomorrow, would others know without a doubt? Oh, boy, I know they were saved. They told me about Jesus all the time. 
Oh, yeah, boy, I can tell by, by the way they live for Christ, by the way they organize their life, by the priorities they had. Oh, they love Jesus. It's a choice. Life is built on choices. In eternity, God gave us a choice. And for believers, he gave us a choice. He gave us a responsibility to share his word, his message to this lost 